0: Deceptions Podcast. Listen to what the Guardian Report actually says. Everyone in the Netherlands seems to have known someone who has been euthanized. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year, and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this, which country in the world would you describe as most resembling the Hunger Games? A failed state somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, a central European neighbour of Russia? Well, according to the Toronto Star, it's their very own Canada. In light of some shocking revelations coming out of the USA's apparently dull and safe northern neighbour, the Toronto Star newspaper labelled their country's healthcare system Hunger Games-style Social Darwinism. Now, that comment came in light of stories coming out of people with chronic illness or pain, yet who are not dying or even close to death, choosing to opt into Canada's assisted suicide program. Now, that was passed in Parliament in 2016 as Bill C14, but more commonly known as MAID, Medical Aid in Dying. Back in 2016, it was passed for, and I'll quote this, adults with enduring or intolerable suffering and a reasonably foreseeable death. In 2021, this was extended. It was extended to adults struggling with mental health, not dying from, but struggling with. Writing in Catholic public theology journal, First Things, Jonathan Van Maren explores an increasingly confronting situation in Canada in which people who would otherwise be treated if they had the funds to bypass the country's ailing healthcare system are either opting for a cheaper, quicker solution, a maid is there to help you, right? Or are actually being offered it when they are seeking some healthcare themselves. As Van Maren reports, in one recent incident that triggered national outrage, a Canadian combat veteran reached out to Veteran Affairs Canada for assistance with post-traumatic stress disorder instead of providing help, they proposed assisted suicide. And listen to this harrowing account in the First Things article. A Winnipeg woman suffering from a degenerative disease died by maid recently after her persistent attempts to procure home care were denied. In an obituary published after her death, she revealed this. Ultimately, it was not a genetic disease that took me out. It was a system. There is desperate need for change. That is the sickness that causes so much suffering. Vulnerable people need help to survive. I could have had more time if I had more help. That last line, hey? That last line is a kick in the guts. I could have had more time if I had more help. Canadians who are sick or in chronic pain or suffering mental health issues are experiencing under this legislation the perfect storm, a system that has been given positive encouragement by a parliamentary bill to look for the cheapest option when it comes to health outcomes, and then a legal, medical and political culture that is philosophically at ease with such a move. So much at ease that a Quebec College of Physicians member testifying before Parliament stated that his organisation would view the euthanising of children under one year of age if the right conditions were met. The future looks more confronting. By March 2023, the only sign-off required for doctors to assist in death will be a suicidal ideation. In other words, on your GP's assessment that you have indicated strongly enough that you want to kill yourself, they'll be there to do it for you. Is it any wonder that even the most liberally minded groups in Canada have been alarmed by how quickly this situation has arisen, and how casually? It's cheaper and easier, it seems, for all concerned, to die. So where's it all headed? This all sounds like a scary story, doesn't it? A sci-fi tale in the not-too-distant future. Yet, as with all great sci-fi, the future seems to arrive much quicker than we might imagine. Let's unpack what's going on. The first observation, it's clear that in the West, especially in the more progressive nations, that the traditional understanding of the role of medicine has changed. Rather than determine how to keep people alive, the system itself is the patient. It's sick, and it will do anything to keep itself alive. And the losers in this system are often those most in need of aid, and yet who can least afford it. Medical systems have either become completely corporatised or have become creaky and burdened public money funnels, as ageing populations, increasing levels of admin, and lower percentages of GDP finally hit home in the West. Here in Australia, and I'm happy to say, I think we've got the best of the private and the public systems, Now much has been said about the USA's woes, but the much-vaunted UK system is in desperate need of an upgrade. The National Health System in the UK in 2010 reported seeing 1 million patients every 36 hours. In 2022, that figure was estimated to have increased to 1.5 million every 24 hours. So 2 million every 36 hours. A system set up with a smaller, younger population who attended its services less regularly is now struggling to cope. Perhaps it is just cheaper to die. While it's certainly more acceptable, it would seem that governments have no real incentive to fix a system that fails so many chronically ill people. And if it's increasingly acceptable in society to die by one's own hand with a medical certificate to approve it, why not? Which brings us to my second observation here in the West. Our understanding of human value, dignity and worth has changed. And it's changed to the point that we don't view human life as a life given to us from any external source. Even in death, it's still you do you. Now, while this shift has been a discussion around start of life issues, it's really picking up ahead of steam at end of life issues as well as the Canadian examples show. This is not to say that those who are promoting assisted dying or state-sponsored suicide, if you want to put it that way, are simply callous and unfeeling. But there's definitely an understanding of human nature in the West that no longer holds to those historically grounded Judeo-Christian views. They no longer hold sway. And even the fumes of those ideas are fading fast. If it's true that this life is all there is, and that you do you, there's no heaven above, no hell below, etc., etc., then the primary issue boils down to this. Maximum happiness has to be attained. And if it's proving impossible to attain or it's draining away, then there's a door and it's open for a way out. The ethical framework given to the world by Christianity is now seen in terms of special pleading it seems we must argue a case for it in the public square before we can argue our case with it. In other words, the rules are being set by a public square that is very secular, and then we are invited to play the game. The playing field in ethics is no longer level. Now, none of this is to say that ethical boards in hospitals simply breeze through their decisions based on flattened ethical frameworks. It's much more complex than that. I recently heard a senior medical ethicist speak about the ongoing conflict around determining where critical healthcare money goes. She was responding to a young neonatal nurse who asked her why, in her ward, a young baby needing care, whose parents had private health care, would be given ongoing ICU treatment, while another baby, whose parents didn't, would have a limited number of days. The baby's life is left to the chance of money. The senior medical ethicist said to her, yes, welcome to the real world. (laughs) Those are the financial decisions that we have to make every day. And speaking to me later, that young nurse pondered how she struggled to see the justice in such a decision. Could she stay long-term in that profession? And yes, I guess who'd be on a hospital ethics board with all of that going on? Decisions like that have to be made every day. My third observation. It's clear that our lowest common denominator is utilitarianism. We're becoming coldly utilitarian at a rate of knots. In the Netherlands, a bastion of liberal politics, older people are afraid of being put into aged care by their families. Why? Because of that country's liberal, almost enthusiastic laws around death. An interesting report in the Guardian newspaper uses the Netherlands as an example. It's been ahead of the curve compared to other Western nations. Listen to what the Guardian report actually says. Everyone in the Netherlands seems to have known someone who has been euthanised. Certainly the idea that we humans have a variety of deaths to choose from is now more familiar in the Netherlands than anywhere else. But here's the kicker. The long-term consequences of this idea, says the Guardian, are only just becoming discernible. In other words, ideas and actions don't always present their logical conclusions up front. We have to arrive at them and then decide whether that was a good idea. Now, euthanasia literally means good death. But a good death today, dying painlessly at one's own request, is different to what that term meant in the past. It meant dying well in a different way, dying with your house in order, no loose ends, a good death for a good person who had lived well, even if there was pain and suffering. As The Guardian reports, altogether, well over a quarter of all deaths in 2017 in the Netherlands were induced. That's what they mean by good death in the Netherlands. Now, some of that included palliative sedation, but that's an astonishing number, a quarter of all dance. And it's set to rise because, as seems inevitable in such matters, the range of conditions considered eligible have expanded. Does that sound familiar? That's the Canadian experience as well. It seems that once the legislation is enacted, then the work begins to see who it can be enacted for. It's not so much a slippery slope as a wide open door but sometimes the door might be pushed closed or at least made more difficult to enter. And it always happens when something outrageous occurs. In 2018, a Dutch medical ethicist resigned from an assisted suicide review board. And she did so protesting at the growing frequency with which dementia sufferers were being euthanized on the basis of written directives that they'd made in the past but which they could no longer confirm in the present. In other words, they had written those directives years in the past when their cognitive abilities were sound. And now with advanced dementia, they're being taken at their word. Why ask questions of someone who can't cogently answer them? Has it all gone too far? Will we ever see a corrective course? So what can we do about this? Perhaps it sounds like a call to arms, a call to rush to change legislation, to pressure government, to run information campaigns, to change people's minds. Perhaps, and there are some good things there. But then again, as with other ethical issues in the public square, aesthetics, what it looks like, has driven our ethics. People now think with their feels so to speak. So perhaps that's where we need to go. Perhaps the heart is the target. Theologian Stanley Haravas said that perhaps if in 100 years' time Christians are the only communities that don't kill their young people and their old people, well, he says, we'll have achieved something. So to finish, a story that feels ugly at times, but its aesthetics and its ethics. It's personal. My father died in an aged care home of Louis body dementia. It was, all things considered, not a good death. Lewy body dementia is a dreadful disease and it plays out over five or so years. A tag team game of first destroying your mind and then your body. Visiting dad was never easy. His mind started to crumple and then his body would catch up Launder, rinse, repeat. Each time you go to see him, you see the effects. And it was hard going to visit him, especially towards the end. And by the end, I don't mean weeks, I mean the last two years. Later, during the COVID pandemic, a couple of years after dad had already died, I couldn't stand the smell of hand sanitizer because it took me back. It took me back to all those times walking into a locked ward the ritual of being buzzed in by the staff, then the squirt of sanitizer at the side of the door. And there I was, prepped, ready to face whatever Dad was going through that day. And I remember one day, it was his second last birthday, and I was running late all day. But I had to get there, had to see him on his birthday. And finally came in around 7pm, when most residents were getting bedded down for the night. Everyone went to bed early in an aged care facility. And most would have never had a visitor that day, yet again. And I asked and I was told Dad was still in the communal lounge, so I went through. And as I was walking down the hall, I saw a young carer, a young woman from Sudan who worked there in her blue uniform and her long weave. And she was slowly walking my dad, rocking him side to side towards his chair, just gently directing him towards safety, dancing. To an unheard waltz Come on Mr Raymond She said in her East African accent Let's get you to your chair A frail old man Being nudged and Nurdled with great care Towards his lounge chair And she hadn't seen me Didn't know I was coming But there she was doing it Her small act Of undemanded mercy Now sure she was being paid But not paid To do that, that way. And as I sat a few minutes later with Dad, eating cake and feeding him cake, with a few tears running down my face, his happy birthday streamer above the TV that was playing endless loops of Andre Rio DVDs, it struck me. Or perhaps it struck me much later. Who can tell with memory? But it struck me that Dad's life was hard. And it was seemingly futile in the last few years. And in another setting, perhaps Canada or the Netherlands, he may have had it ended. A decision may have been made by an ethical board in a sterile room. But you know what? Caring for Dad in those final years changed me. It made me more merciful too, more tender towards those who are weak and frail. For I am not by nature a tender man, I do not, by personality, care too much for the weak and frail. I am a driven doer. And Dad's final broken years frustrated me. But they also softened me and gave me the chance to show mercy. Now, we glibly refer to euthanasia as mercy killings. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of future left for mercy livings. Right now in Australia, we're having conversations about the rampaging costs of aged care and how the economic model is unworkable and unsustainable in its current setting. And in that setting, a Netherlands option looks mighty attractive. A Canadian option looks more likely. And if financial justice were to be served, perhaps it looks highly desirable. But in that moment of my life, as that young woman helped my dad, and a thousand other little moments before the day dad took his final breath, mercy got to triumph over justice. And if all that happens as we leave our sick and sorry and sore alive just that little bit longer, if all that happens is that we get to experience and exhibit mercy, I'll chalk that down as a win. Perceptions podcast.